We are having fun, folks. This is episode 41. Jesus Christ, get this guy out of here. Hey, everybody. Hi. Welcome back. It's nice to see all your smiling faces once again in podcast land. Thanks for being here. Uh, Take off your hat and coat and stay a while if you'd like. This is episode five of the seventh season of the Anhedonic Headphones podcast. It's me, your boy, Kevin Krein, a.k.a. Kevy Fly, a.k.a. your favorite podcast host's favorite podcast host. Today's guest is somebody that I have known for 20 years And when I reminded him of that, we both felt some kind of way about it, as one would do, I guess, when you've known somebody for that long. A lot of technical difficulties trying to make this one happen, so I am very grateful that we were able to have such a thoughtful, sprawling conversation when we were able to connect. So, as you are able, folks, please put your hands together for my illustrious guest on today's show, Joe Kleinbrill. (laughs) All right. So I'm grateful that you are here. For the folks at home um, who might not know you from all the things that you do, um, do you want to just do a quick introduction before we get into the tunes? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'm Joe Kleinbrill. And I live in Dubuque, Iowa, and I am a professor of theater at Clark University. And I, um, I'm not a musician. Um, <laughs> do you play anything I, though? <laughs> um, no, I hang out with people who do because they're the cool ones. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I mean, I play, you know six and a half chords on a guitar and i mean that's that's more than you need i think you only really need three (laughs) if you got double that i think you're good you're doing better than a lot of people i i didn't say i play them well but i that i I mean it's all in the enthusiasm (laughs) and like if you can sell it like you're good you're rock solid um but yeah, it's not all musicians that I have on the show. Like I've had a couple writers on and I used to just do this with like friends of mine yeah. or people I used to work with. So it's just like I like talking to people who are interested in talking about what music means to them. So I'm it. appreciative that you were willing to go through the laborious effort of making this list because I, 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 I gleaned it wasn't easy. It wasn't, but it was a really cool <laughs> challenge because it made me really think about, you know, how desert island 10 you know what am i going to do here and and why um so it really kind of took me down a great path of of um looking at my music and influential songs and why i would pick them as favorites but then you know it was like sophie's choice what am i going to do here i gotta (laughs) cut some yeah didn't you say your first list was like 20 something 30 something and yeah, it was it was something along that line, and then I was like, "Okay, thank you. Um, we're not seeing any more of you today." Thank you so much. <laughs> um, so when you when I had originally approached you about this, you said you were also because you're on sabbatical right now from from teaching, correct? Right, I am. And yeah, you're this... you're working on something during this time, and you mm-hmm. said that this kind of exercise that I had assigned to pick these songs mm-hmm. had kind of helped, or like had worked with the project you were doing. So do you want to talk about that at all before we start getting into the songs or do you want to save that for later on? Yeah, I can talk a little bit about it. Um, I I would say the project that I'm 
working on right now that I'm that I'm creating is sort of a combination of examining. Well, it, it's essentially examining an identity. Um, I have this vision of this character uh, who stumbles into this room that is filled with, you know, props and pieces of scenery and potential. Um, and but it's it's more about it. representing the space that we go to when we're wrestling with a change in our identity, when we're about to take the the next step and that almost like being in that sense of a cocoon um, and wrestling with oneself and figuring out where we are to move, to emerge, to move forward. So the, 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 the theatrical project, the play is really about what happens inside that, that room in that moment um music played a huge part and is playing a huge part of what i'm creating because the piece right now the the title that it has is persona or person a Mm -hmm. when you look it on the page it looks like person a so it's very much about who what our exterior masks are and how they reveal things to us so i'm able to weave the, the um, sort of quintessential theater moments and characters into this piece, but it really is sort of one person's examination of self. And it comes out of COVID, of course, it mm-hmm. comes out of like major changes in my life um, that are, are that I've been kind of living through in the last, you know, several years. Um, but I think it's a universal theme that many people that everybody faces at some point and in some way. So I think it has the potential to have some universal appeal. But as I said, music plays a big role. Um, I stumbled on this jukebox, this old jukebox in the theater basement. And while I was starting to kind of create this, I, I thought, well, you know, I could see one person morphing through characters and moments in time and theater, but, but who's on the other end of this conversation? And this jukebox, I thought, this is a perfect way to have almost like a 2001 Hal in the room that could be sure. an, antag- an antagonist, um, a protagonist, <laughs> um, um, could, could be reflect music, play music, be some sort of voice. So anyway, that's a rather long uh, way of, of getting to the point that an examination of music and musical um, artists, artists who have produced music, who have been these major personas, all of that's been under the microscope for me. And I've been just opening myself up to all of it. So, And so when you're like, you're kind of writing this and, and thinking about all this, is this like going to be like a one person show? Like, or is you just like, how, like when this comes together, what is like the end result oh. of a project like this? That is the end game next spring. So in a year from now, okay. the goal okay. is to have it fully staged. Um, it, it started out as a one person show that I would be the, that person, but it's, it's kind of expanding into more, uh, adding a few more actual voices into this piece. Um, okay. And yeah, it'll have a reading, a public reading, developmental reading in the fall. And and then, yeah, we'll aim to actually produce it in the spring. So yeah, it's been a great project to, to take on because I'm not a writer 
that's not necessarily been my background, but this is a, a very fun exploration for me that's challenging me and scaring me all the time. And I think it's, <laughs> it's good. It's good. That's like, that's like an allegory for life challenges and, yeah. and being frightened. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, right. One question that I, that I ask that I've been asking people over the last two years, especially is like, if you're involved in the arts in any way or are a creative person, has mm. it been difficult to remain creative during this the last two years like i mean it sounds like this project is kind of born out of you know the the pandemic or whatever but like as a teacher as a director as somebody who like probably liked going to plays performing Mm -hmm. like has this been how rough has it been or have you kind of been able to adapt i think it has been rough um i think we recognize those well artists in general but i would say in the theater there's a constant recognition of the challenges that we're facing and how you know uh, what's the shelf life on some of the ways that we're trying to tell our stories and commune with audiences i mean i think we were i i I did a, a sort of like a zoom play reading early on in the pandemic and I was asked to be a part of it. And so it was like really brand new for me. Um, but the director who invited me in to do it said, it was communicating to the cast saying, you know, you guys, this is pretty much like, like this may be the way that we do things from here on out um, yeah, or, yeah. or some where everything's going to be turned on its head. And, and I think that, that, we're only just starting to understand really what that means. So yes, it was really difficult to, to pivot, but there's always been a desire to try to figure out how to tell stories and to commune with an audience. And so I think we just continue to try to navigate that. And when you hit a crisis like that, I think it can bring out the most creative ideas and, um, you just, you, you're trying to find the light, you know, you're moving towards, you like the little, the little, you know, the little root that's trying to come through the sidewalk. Like, how do I, how do I find, you know, my way to the sun? So we're, so yeah, it's been challenging. Um, but we've done some interesting things and we continue to do it. And, uh, I think that's it. People want to, they want to, they want to connect. Um, yeah, yeah. But there, but there's also a lot of apprehension and and shifting of how that d- works. So it's it's a constant journey through newness.
I was familiar with a bulk of these. Some of these I knew the artist, but I did not know the song. So I'm always very eager to learn what people are into and why they're into it. So <laughs> let's begin with Talking Heads, um, Once in a Lifetime, an absolutely iconic song. But yeah. I mean, this is in the 80s, art rock. I mean, where? how are we getting into this one? Like, And how did this... like? What metric did you use to pick this 10? Like in terms of like <laughs> okay. the, the, this being the 10? Well, I, I think there's a lot that I could say in terms of the 10. Um, I have gone back to, in many ways, the things that really impacted me in a formative time in my life. Yeah. Um, that, you know, how do you get to my age and then go, what's your favorite? You know, well, if it's a real favorite, like it's going to have some, <laughs> some legs and some roots to it, you know? Um, and, and so that's it. But some of these songs I, I discovered as a favorite later in life, you know, sure. it's like it hung around enough in my life that I, I saw it through multiple lenses and I would say that once in a lifetime is one of those. Um, I've always been behind <laughs> the trend. Like I'm not <laughs> a person who is right on the. <laughs> You're not on the cutting edge. No, I, I've never okay. been like on the crest of the wave. I've always been sort of behind it going, what happened? Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm never really the trendsetter. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, discovering things kind of late. Um, and when we talk about the Smiths, I'll get to that. That's, that's definitely, <laughs> um, but like, so the talking heads, you're like, I just, I, you're like, I just heard of the Smiths shortly before you asked me to make this list. Have you yeah. heard of them? Are you familiar with this Morrissey fellow? Do you know who that is? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I unfortunately, you know, I'm not like the trendsetter, the the groundbreaker. I I'm always like feel like I'm always collecting the stuff. The people are on to the next thing, and there and and I'm like, hey, this is awesome. They're like, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, go, you know, <laughs> you, you missed the boat, but whatever. At least I found it, you know. So yeah, at least you found the boat eventually. Yeah, and I will say this too. I mean, I grew up with top forty as being like the the main thing in my life right and and the top 40 the countdown you know uh, oh casey Kasem, baby you know oh, the yeah. vibes absolutely casey Kasem and, and 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 the top 40 that was like a way of taking seeing how there was a seat at the table for all different kinds of genres but they had to also fit into you know the the general public's top 40 list you know so you could branch off from there but that was that was definitely my world so you know i i've i'm definitely a lot of my list is things that were in groups and and artists that were very popular uh and have been around and and are in the mainstream uh, I, I, I have branched off. I, I like to say that I'm not always just the mainstream guy, but you know, that was the stuff that influenced me and, and kind of opened a door to a genre that I was like, Oh, okay. What's that about? Let me go down that. But it all started at the top 40 table, you know, same as it ever was, same as it ever was, same as it ever was, same as it ever was. 
Once in a lifetime. Yeah, yeah. Talking heads. Talking, Talking heads. heads were absolutely a part of the background of my formative years, but they weren't necessarily in the forefront. Like I wasn't a huge Talking fan, Talking Heads fan, or David Byrne or anything. I was, I was sort of like you know, just taking it in and kind of understanding it. So. Only in later years did I really get to kind of go back and really appreciate what the Talking Heads contributed and who David Byrne is as an artist and the things that he's done. And he gets better with age. Um, his contributions and the Talking Heads contributions, I think, are you know more and more sort of legendary as as time goes by. You know, the close of CBGBs and you know just kind of looking back at mm -hmm. at their contributions, um, they become more legendary in a way. And this song, um, I look at this one and it is so interestingly constructed to me. I, it's filled with quirkiness and surprises, an examination of life. Um, I'm so interested in the fact that there's this constant sound in it that's like when you go in a casino and mm -hmm. you, 
and that collective hum of the machines making that one sort of chord that's there. If anybody's yeah. been in the casino, that like you hear this like drone that's that's a chord. It's like a sound, and there's something so. Uh, for me, it, it's just so interesting. It's at the same time like peculiar and fascinating and sad because you're in a casino where you don't see the sunlight and you got wishes there's, and dreams. And then there's no clocks on purpose. There are no clocks. And there's just that sound of maybe you're going to, you know, you're going to strike it rich yeah. or you're, you're not. And it's kind of a, a, a weird weird existence. And so I feel like once in a lifetime has that going on with it, that makes you like, either I'm going to stop the train and really figure out what, what I want out of life, or I'm going to get just the, the water's going to go over my head, you know, and I'm yeah. just going to get carried away. So that's one of the things that that song really does for me is, is all of that all at once. Um, yeah. There is a lot going on in this one musically, and I guess I hadn't really thought about it until you said it, but it's like there's like at least three layers of things kind of propelling it forward. And yeah. it's very disor it's very disorienting, and it kind of seems like it's gonna just f go completely off the rails or fall apart at any moment. But right, then it never right. does. It and never it's just does. Like that's that that's the trick of the song, is that it seems unhinged and he's just like <laughs> rambling and asking all of these questions and like just mm -hmm. talking like talking rather than singing and then it gets to the chorus and then there's the singing and it just kind of the song doesn't resolve in that moment but it like that's yeah. when it, you know that it's not actually gonna just totally crumble under its own weight <laughs> right that's right and that's when you yeah. you find yourself <clears throat> Ah, singing and, and and sort of not taking it quite as seriously as you could, right? It, it's there's there's that hook. That's an, an amazing hook. That chorus, yeah, is, yeah. Is like for um, as weird for as weird as Talking Heads are, and for as weird as David Byrne is, I mean, these a lot of their songs are so accessible and catchy. Like they can write infectious songs, but it's like done in such a way that like some it's off putting to some people. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's like, I mean, my dad listened to the Talking Heads a lot when I was a kid, so like I was around this music okay. when yeah. I was very young, and so I've been aware of this band since I was like four or five years old, and I yeah. always thought it was very they were very strange, and it was only <laughs> when I became an adult that I kind of really started to appreciate it more and kind of could see like, yes, it's weird, but a lot of these songs are really good and like well-made. Right. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's it just, you know, you, you, you look back at the eighties and the music that was produced in the eighties and they are, um, I mean, I mean, definitely they spanned a good portion of the, the eighties and that was, that was the good stuff, you know? I mean, yeah. it really, really was. So, so I have a, an, a I have an appreciation for, that song and all talking heads kind of from a distance now you know where i look at it and, yeah. I, and I think oh we didn't know what we had at that moment or some <laughs> of us didn't some some did but i guess so uh, yeah it's just it's a it's an amazing song by an amazing iconic band he opens his eyes falls in love at first sight with the girl in the doorway what 
beautiful lines How full of life after thousands of years What a face to wake up to He holds back a sigh as she touches his arm She dusts off the bed where till now he's been sleeping Under miles of stone, the dried fig of his heart Under scarab and bone, starts back to its beating She carries him home in a beautiful boat He watches the sea from a porthole in storage He can hear all she says as she sits by his bed And one day his lips answer her in her own language The days quickly pass, he loves making her laugh The first time he moves, it's her hair that he touches She asks, are you cursed? He says, I think that I'm cured Then he talks of the Nile and the girls in bulrushes So Josh Ritter and like I, uh, I, I knew this song, but like this was like kind of my jumping off. Like I was really into Josh Ritter for a couple of years, and then like this album, I was kind of like, yeah, I don't know about this one. So this is kind of where I got off of the mm. of his tunes, and I've kind of lost track of him. But I remember listening to this album and this song, and I was like, oh yeah, this is a really interesting song because it like he really tells a story with it. So mm-hmm. I mean. We're going from idiosyncratic art rock to earnest <laughs> singer-songwriter. How are we getting into this one? And like, do you write pretty hard for Josh Ritter, like overall, or like, what is your access point with him? Oh, I do. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, as a as a planner for um, the committee that brings outside artists to campus here, uh, I lobbied pretty hard to get him to do a concert here, and then the pandemic hit. And he, oh, no. um, he, it, it took a couple of years, but then this, uh, this past fall, he was, he was on campus and he did a concert. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. How is he live? I know he, he played in Northfield at one of the colleges here a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, and I know he did something with the twins in the twin cities. He did something with the Minneapolis orchestra once a couple of years ago. I think that was pretty good. Um, oh, yeah. but was he, is he good? Like, is it, was it a good show? Good to get was- him like, yeah, he he was great. He was fantastic. Um, he yeah he was he was dynamite live. He was just really really solid. And I had seen him live before, um, or you know at a different time. So I knew that he was quite good. He just comes out and he's got this perma grin on his face. Yeah, he does have a big smile, big <laughs> shit eating grin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's just joy, jo- you know. And I even asked him; he's been asked about it. Like, how, what's with that? Yeah, that smile, and he just emanates joy. Like he steps on that stage and he knows that he's he's at a unique moment to give and receive. And yeah there's a that circuit is happening and it just brings him such joy but yeah he's he's great i a, a close friend of mine turned me on to josh ritter he played you know he would make me mix mix cds uh from time to time and he would always yeah there you go <laughs> yes i heard the conversation in a previous podcast about vinyl <laughs> cds and I, and I could go i could go down that path too but um yeah, so we. I mean, we my make- laptop doesn't even have a CD drive, dog. Like, I mean, if I have to make a mix CD for somebody, it requires like me put <laughs> yeah. getting an external thing and hooking it up. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. My car doesn't and it, it, it haven't anymore. And that was a crisis moment for me. I thought, I, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know what to do. I have to pay for a service to play all the music I already own. I don't know what's going on. So, yeah. And then I discovered that, like in the. 50s and 60s maybe in the 50s the that some cars had a had an actual like 45 turntable in the in the glove box area and i and i'm now i, I want one so i anyway. i'm sure that those records um don't get damaged <laughs> no i'm sure that i'm sure that if you're going down a road without any potholes or like anything like it's not going to skip Such reanimation, the two-tour the nation He gets out of limos, he meets other women He speaks of her fondly, their nights in the museum But she's just one more rag now, he's dragging behind him She stops going out, she just lies there in bed In hotels and whatever towns they are speaking Then her face starts to set and her hands start to fold And one day the drop figure of her heart stops its beating Long ago on the ship She asked why pyramids He said think of them as an immense invitation She asked, are you cursed? He said, I think that I'm cured Then he kissed her and hoped That she'd forget that question Yeah, a friend of mine made, who would make mixed CDs and he would always put some Josh Ritter on there and, uh, and it... It absolutely appealed to me because he is a storyteller and he likes to experiment with different voices um, and styles too within yeah. you know his own music. So some songs are you know just a plain old country song if he wants to go that route, but it's always through the lens of some some voice, or he will you know tell a, a, a very different kind of story and and language that man can pack lyrics into a song and then spout them on stage in a way that is so interesting to me and so unique. I mean, the poetry that comes out is phenomenal. And it's so like, he, he gets his words per line. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. <laughs> um, but, I, but I'm a fan of language and as a storyteller and a theater practitioner you know language is is yeah. really is is at the heart of that for me so I, that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm really drawn to him and character i'm drawn to the character that he brings and he can focus in on a really unique and intimate moment and um express it in a way that is just like it just has you if you if you're yeah. willing to take the ride with them and yeah. that's what the curse to me is all about because i think it it just really is a song that explores a quirky story of of love but you know i mean you've got this 
this woman and this mummy <laughs> and <laughs> and i'm all in right like what is this about um yeah, yeah, I remember. Like, like I, I remember this album coming out. And I think like the maybe the first song on it, or like the first single off of it, I was really into. And, mm-hmm. um, and then kind of I don't know. I remember this tune being like early in the record and being kind of like, oh, this is interesting that he's doing like a sparse kind of piano song that has mm-hmm. a clear narrative. Um, yes. but I've really lost track of him. But I mean, the Animal Years is yeah. one of my favorite albums. Um. And if you want to talk about like, na- like the the kind of storytelling element, like there's so many biblical references on that record, and yeah. then that song, the the thin blue flame, it's like ten minutes long. I don't know how he does that one. It's just like there's no chorus. It's all just right. him like singing, like singing his ass off until the end. There's just like his moment of catharsis, and so I was happy to see this on here because I was like. I yeah. got into Josh Ritter, and I don't know if you have done any kind of deep dive on his background, but he didn't break in America for a really long time, and he was big in Ireland. Yeah. And he, because he was pals with Glenn Hansard from The Frames. Yeah, I was going to say, he and opened so, The Frames. So uh, that's how I heard of him, was when I went through my big, earnest Irish singer-songwriter phase in 2005, uh, when... I would have been in college. And so I was like, who is Josh Ritter? He bangs with the frames. I need to listen to this album. And so that's how I got into him. And then he finally started to find an audience here. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I have heard and read about some of that background. Yeah. So, um, uh, and also, you know, I'm a, I, I enjoy Glenn Hansard and frames and, 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 uh, so it was always exciting to, hear more about that part of his his career and how it kind of got launched but yeah he this he's an interesting storyteller to me um and his lyrics you just met you talked about how some of his songs many of his songs there isn't a chorus necessarily and that to me is unique and yet the the song is complete and it's fulfilling and and you know i'm all in so i think it's a it's a bold move when somebody writes a song regardless of if if it is 10 minutes long or not and it doesn't have a clear chorus Mm -hmm. that it comes back to um i think that's like a fascinating like a structural element that makes a song really compelling to me absolutely and you have to pay attention to, to his lyrics like he he is that's that's the whole thing i'm not a person yeah. who i'm looking at lyrics i want to know if i can't understand a lyric it makes me mad i want to find out what it is so that i can <laughs> decide if it's worth my time or not um <laughs> you know so i'm i'm all about yeah i'm all about the lyrics and the rhythms that they create and the, the words yeah Love of mine, someday you will die But I'll be close behind They'll follow you into the dark No blinding light Or tunnels to gates of white Just our hands clasped so tight Waiting for the hint of a spark If heaven and hell decide that they both are satisfied 
illuminate the nose on their vacancy signs. If there's no one beside you when your soul embarks, then I'll follow you into the dark. Death Cab, Death Cab for Cutie, great band name. Um, yeah. I always, like, I mean, I I will admit, I like a lot of Death Cab, like, especially Transatlanticism, a lot of songs mm-hmm. off of off of this album. I just think it's, like, the worst band name, and I know it's a reference to something, and I don't <laughs> care. I'm just like, yeah. damn, y'all hit it big and didn't think about, like, how that's going to look. Like, that's a terrible <laughs> band name. But, so, from Plans... You picked I Will Follow You Into the Dark. And this is like a whole cut. This is like a concept album about death. So it's like obviously very uplifting. Um, Yeah. But are you a big like Ben Gibbard death cab guy? Or like where are we? How are we getting into into this? Mm. I'm a plan. This is from plans. Right. And yeah. Yeah. um, I'm a a huge fan of this particular album. And I enjoy death cabs, other stuff. But this one I just played it over and over again, and I was really just taken with the lyrics and the stories that were there. Um, I just think it's a really complete, solid record, and um, and it and it goes to places that are hard to go to. Um, yeah, and this song, when I would really examine the lyrics, I thought this this is fascinating to me and there's some simple turns of phrase in it that are really i think brilliant and yeah simple but brilliant and and so i just really do think this band's album this particular album and this song is a great example of 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 what i think is quite brilliant i mean i know they have you know some some probably mainstream appeal and so forth but for me um I was yeah, I just couldn't get enough of it. So I really like this album because um I like the song Brothers on a Hotel Bed. Yes. A lot. Yes. Um and because I like that it has like a really long build up. Like an mm-hmm. instrument like a weird instrumental build up and then the song starts and yeah. again, yeah. there's no real chorus to that song. It just kind of right. like and then it just kind of ends. But also what Sarah said is on that album too, which is super dark. Um, yeah. And only Ben Gibbard could, and I had a friend of mine on the show a couple of years ago, who is a songwriter and a singer out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And he picked what Sarah said because he was, he was impressed that Ben Gibbard could pull off singing a song with the lyric, the hallway smells of piss in 409. 409. Yeah, and he he was like, only Ben Gibber could get away with this because it works. I don't know if anyone else could pull this off. And I'm like, I'd never thought about it like that before. But yeah, you're right. In Catholic school, as vicious as Roman rule, I got my knuckles bruised by a lady in black. And I held my tongue as she told me, son, fear is the heart of love. So I never went back And if heaven and hell decide That they both are satisfied And illuminate the nose On their vacancy signs If there's no one beside you When your soul embarks Then I'll follow you into the dark 
You and me have seen everything to see From Bangkok to Calgary And the soles of your shoes are all worn down The time for sleep is now But it's nothing to cry about Cause we'll hold each other soon In the blackest of rooms If heaven and hell decide that they both are satisfied And illuminate the nose on their vacancy signs If there's no one beside you when your soul embarks Then I'll follow you into the dark And I'll follow you into the dark so this the the sensorial aspects that are captured in those like like little quiet moments yeah. in that album are brilliant. I mean they're yeah. they're they're tough. They're really tough because if anyone who's had the any kind of experience that meshes with what's being talked about there um, can find a way to move through some of that. I think by it's by also- just. Yeah, it's also really admirable that this was their first major label album, and they so they got all that Atlantic Records money, and we're like, let's make an album about death. Yeah, <laughs> like that's just yeah. really that's really funny. <laughs> it is, you know, you just have to admire that choice and say, yeah, we're gonna do what we want to do. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I didn't like this album at first when it came out, but then I came around to it, and I was like, you know, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of depth on this one that I, I missed the first time around, and I, I really, yeah, like I dig it yeah. a lot. I think that this song, you know, uh, if heaven and hell decide that they both are satisfied, illuminate the nose on their vacancy signs. If there's no one beside you when your soul embarks, and I'll follow you into the dark. I just loved the idea of the vacancy signs you know yeah um you know it just just that if there's no nothing there and there's nothing there i'm with you and this is sort of the sense of a of um promise you know this um dark this maybe sort of a taboo idea of a dark promise that's made in this song i mean i can i interpret it in some ways um there's sort of an agnostic agnostic perspective here. Um, I think. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's dark, (laughs) but it's just so good. Well, it's also really like, it's, I mean, this is one of the more sparsely arranged songs on here. So it's like, it's very intimate sounding. And so it already kind of has you. And then like the lyricism really, like really grabs you from there. Right, right. I also find it interesting too the uh, the, the portion of the story um, in Catholic school, as vicious as Roman rule. I got my knuckles yeah. bruised by a lady in black, um, and I held my tongue as she told me, "Son, fear is the heart of love." So I never went back. <laughs> you know, just um, it just you know some issues that are brought to light here about uh, the I don't know challenge of our faith or or our journey, our, our spiritual journey or non-spiritual journeys. There's just a lot that can be triggered through this song that um, I thought was fascinating. So I, I love it. 
Um, before we get into the next one, I don't want to forget yes. to mention this. So I don't know if you remember this for the listeners at home, just Joe, you and I have known each other for 20 years now, and I don't know how that makes you feel. It makes me feel some <laughs> kind of way. Um, but that is the, that is what I call the inevitability of becoming washed when you have known somebody for, for that long. <laughs> yeah. Um, but when when I was a student at school at Clark and you had just started teaching, you mm-hmm. told us a story about when you were in New York and you ran into the cast of the state. I don't know if you oh, remember yeah. the story. Yes, I did. Yeah. And and you had like you you had wanted to like make an impression on them. And so you like pull pulled your pants down a little bit and walked by them. And then, like, lifted up your pants and mooned them partially. And we're like, hey, caught you looking. And I, my, so my wife was not there for that story, obviously. But I've told that story to her before. And she thinks it's, like, the funniest fucking thing. And we talk about it all the time. And so when I told her you were going to be a guest on the show, she was like, oh, tell them that we really like that state thing. That we talk oh, about God. it all the time because it's really funny. And oh. so the, the, the hay caught you looking is like made <laughs> it right. into our rapport <laughs> in the house of things we say. Oh, a very proud moment of my uh, of my of my past. Yes. <laughs> I mean, um, it's not, I mean, it's I think it's I'm I still think it's funny. But also I'm just like, I got to tell you that like. 20 years later, bro, like I'm still laughing at this anecdote you told me. And it's like a thing that we say at least once a week when something happens in the house. Like, Hey, I love it. You know, I love it. I still do it in grocery stores. I do. No, I, Why not? You're like on the list. You're on the list of people who can't come into high V because you're like yeah. always got your pants yeah. down. <laughs> right. Ah, <laughs> oh, the antics. Yeah, that was a true story, though. True story. They did not oh. find that very uh, entertaining, actually. I that, that I, I you get... know, that is that is a that is a shame. That is a tragedy. Is a I know. Mm. Um. So we're we're getting into <laughs> so we're gonna do tears for fears now. And let me. I I want to like. So I recognize this album cover because this is um the. This has Sowing the Seeds of Love on it, which yeah. was a big single for Tears for Fears. Right. And this was like late 80s or early 90s, mm-hmm. right when my parents got a CD player. Okay. And so this was a CD that we, like an early CD that we had in the house. Because I remember the video for Sowing the Seeds of Love. I remember my dad was like, oh shit, Tears for Fears have a new album out. I got to get that. And he bought the CD. I did not listen to it though. Cause I was like, I am a child and this music is not that interesting to me, but 
I so I was not familiar with the song because I've never done like a big deep dive on Tears for Fears. But so how are we jumping from Death Cab to Tears for Fears, mm-hmm. especially kind of like a deep cut like this? Mm-hmm. This um, was a really important album in my life because it came out in I think it was like 89 or 90, right? Right around where um, my senior year of high school. And it, so, I I mean, I think that's like one of the most important transitional times in anyone's life, right? Is leaving your, your, your grade school and you're moving on in life, right? So leaving, leaving high school and this came out and, um, so yeah, this is from well, 89. I'm, I, I have too many tabs right. open on my computer, so I'm on my phone. This is from <laughs> 1989. 89. Okay. Yeah. And it and it was pretty much uh, my a lot of my friends and I were very into the album. Um, it just struck a chord with us. Uh, pardon that pun, but it it really did. <laughs> uh, through you know, it was just a really big part of our celebration of our immortality as seniors in high school, you know, and the heart and the, and the journey that we were about to go on, nobody really knew what all that would, no, no one could know what it was all going to be, but we were, we were at the top of our game or so we thought, and, and this, this, there was something so enjoyable of, about this album. And this song in particular is very sensitive. It's very quiet at times. Yeah, uh, that was what I noticed. I, I, for the tunes that I was not familiar with on your list, I, I mm-hmm. had a Spotify playlist that I listened to on my one of my little stupid mental health walks that I take every day. And so I was like really into this one because it was not familiar to me, and I was I wanted to know the the scoop about this right. one because it is it's very moody. And it's very yeah. like it's not as bombastic as a lot of their other songs are right. in terms right. of their arranging. 
Yeah. 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 You're right about that. And they, and they, that's one of the things that was so intriguing to me about this album, uh, which I still love this album so much. I think it's a great one is that they were very experimental. They were trying things, you know, is nothing sounds nothing like shout or you know stuff from songs from the big chair or anything like that 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 album is very different um it's very they had olita adams singing on some of those tunes and she brought a, a dimension to their music that was soulful and just different you know in this strong female voice that um just became part of the world of tears for fears and i think that that was what was so cool about that album for me um was their experiment they were very experimental it was very melodic I and mean, it's, it's beautiful stuff but and this song is experimental in a in that in its ex exploration of sort of real real intimate quiet and then a, an explosion of sound later on yeah. in the song you know and then returning again to that quiet um, it sort of has that sense of, um, you know, chaos, finding the quiet intimacy amongst the chaos and war of life or whatever, you know, however you want to interpret the, the, the war, but the, the war image, but, you know, um, we will laugh, we will sing when the saints go marching in and we will carry war no more. Um, I, I loved that lyric, but I have to tell you too, I saw them perform live around that time. I went to see the concert and, and I love this song. It was very much a, um, you know, just one of my favorites and they did it. And when it mm -hmm. hit that, when the saints go marching in, they completely shifted gears and just launched into the actual, when the saints go marching in um singing and you know it just i was mm -hmm. like they're literally singing when the saints go marching in right now <laughs> and and i didn't see it coming it you know even though they say say it <laughs> um uh and then and then transitioned sort of out of that and it was like the greatest sort of surprise and and i just i thought you know what you guys are cool i love it this is awesome so uh you're you grew up in michigan right I did, yeah. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And mm -hmm. So, did you go to a lot of concerts when you were younger? And like, yeah, is that something that I mean, I in did. college, mm -hmm. even did you go to a lot of shows? Um, not so much in college. I mean, I did, but I my that's one of the things that I, that I really had. I think I was very fortunate to do is like even at the earliest age, my mom would always take me to concerts, and she, you know, living like in Detroit area, we could see a lot of stuff, and um, I mean. One of the best concerts I got to go to was the was Eminem. The, I'm kidding. No, I didn't. I've never seen Eminem live. No. Skibbity bee, um, everybody in the three one three. I didn't do that. No, but my mom, my mom took me and my sister to the the Jacksons, Michael Jackson and the Jacksons Victory Tour right oh, after. Oh, nice. Like Thriller was big and and. You know, like it was right on the crest of all of that. And it was that summer oh after God. when they were touring. And so I saw that concert. I think it was like 12 when I saw it. And I had, you know, seen, <laughs> I think prior to that, I had seen Neil Diamond. And, and my, you know, because my parents took us to, you know, middle America kind of stuff. And 
And so, and I was like, Neil Diamond is the best. This is the coolest thing. I was, I was out at a concert and I don't know how much, how old I was then, 10, maybe nine or something like that. And then, and then, you know, the world was just flipped upside down when I got to see Michael Jackson live. That was like, that was when it became like an, a, a spiritual experience, you know? That's You're wild. Like, like, it was crazy. Those, those epic records, like, post Jackson five, we have to be called the Jacksons now albums are re- like the songs are so good. Like I bet that yeah. would be so fun yeah. to see. It was, it was unreal. It was, it was something that I will never forget. And then we ultimately saw a lot of concerts, um, you know, just like Whitney Houston and Lionel Richie and all the eighties folks, top 40 stuff, you know, um, yeah. But I just, I, I was, I always, always loved the feeling of being in that space, that live space and seeing and, and witnessing those concerts. And um, just, I mean, it really was, it was like a religious experience, you know? Um, yeah. And still is, still is. So. I was really happy to see this on here because I I really like this album um, and I oh, find yeah. this band like to be so esoteric and charming <laughs> that like yeah. not a lot of people that I know now have ever heard of them. But so morphine, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, this is kind of like a product of the '90s that like I don't. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. think I know anyone who's like, hey, ever you want to listen to cure for pain? I'm like, I don't, that's not anyone I hang out with. But so in spite of me, like how is this something that like, how are we getting into this one, especially from like tears for fears into something? So, so indie and kind of like this oddball mix of a, 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 like a modified slide bass and a saxophone and percussion. (laughs) I know. And, and this one's a lot more sort of, um, you know, this is, this is different. In spite of me, is very different than that hard driving sax feel that they yeah. have. You know, this one is a lot more sensitive, and um, I, I, and I gravitate to that stuff too. You know, it's a well earned, sensitive moment that, and so I love it. This is college for me. You know, I'm definitely okay. in college and friends. This does have big. This does have big college energy to it oh, yeah. like if you got yeah. in if you got into it when it was popping like this has mm-hmm. been like, oh yeah i heard this yeah. on college radio yeah yeah 
I had the CD for a while, and I loved like because they were on Ryko disc, and all the jewel cases mm-hmm. are green. So I always loved like the green tint that the oh, album yeah. had. Yeah. yeah, that's right, right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really, I really love Morphine a lot. I just think they're they're different. I, I love their sound. Um, it, it's a sound I miss. You know, when I get away from it, and I come back to it. I ah, oh, that's just so refreshing. I love that sound. And this one I picked just because it, it always has been a, a, a really important song for me. Um, I think it's very, uh, I keep saying sensitive, but it's very, it's just sort of a soft deliverant delivering of this, of these, of this idea, you know, um, last night I told a stranger all about you. They smiled patiently with disbelief. I always knew you would succeed no matter what you tried. And I know you did it all in spite of me. There's just, it's just almost whispered, you know, as a song. the guitar is gorgeous in this one and um and to be frank with you when when creating a mixed tape mm-hmm. <laughs> or a mixed cd this one fits beautifully on it always it's always <laughs> like a, it's it's kind of like the one you want to put at the end and go oh, yeah this is how we're going out on a mix a mixtape mix cd um but yeah it's uh it's just one that um that I that speaks to me and still does. I so I mean, I remember when they were big in the '90s and kind of like mm-hmm. then he Mark Salmon passed away and I when I you sent me your list and I was like listening to these tunes I was like, well what the hell happened to the rest of this band after he mm-hmm. died and so like I mm-hmm. guess they are still active, okay and are still performing yeah. under the name Vapors of Morphine. Oh wow and. <laughs> So, yeah, it's like, I think they put out a couple albums. It's just like maybe one person who was in the original lineup and like a couple other performers, but it's not, I don't know if they are just all instrumental now or what I didn't really, I didn't take a yeah. listen. But they, yeah, there's still uh-huh. like people who were at, involved in this band are still doing things and kind of trying okay. to like ca- carry on the legacy. But yeah, oh, he di- he died on he died on stage, which is like... 
Really? So dark. Wow. Yeah. I didn't he know had that. A heart a- yeah, he had a heart attack in Italy on stage and just dropped dead while they were performing, which is like wild fucked up. But like, wow. Yeah. 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 I didn't. I I was surprised I didn't know that or didn't retain that detail. I'm I'm not you know like a a diehard morphine fan. Uh, I mean I I do enjoy some of their their albums a lot, but I but but I didn't know yeah the deep the deep dive there. Yeah, I mean like this is I I retained that from when I worked at a radio station and I would like need mm-hmm. to get little facts to talk about after I played the song and so like mm-hmm. when I was I think I I used to play Cure for Pain a lot on my show as a cry for help and um yeah. Yeah. When <laughs> I was like researching I was like oh shit that dude just like d- died on stage. That's that is absolutely wild. Like that is so dark. And yeah. that was like the the fact and I was like and that's more morphine and that man died doing what he loved um yeah yeah really yeah yeah Yeah. but yeah that's like i was really cool to revisit this because like i had i had not listened to them in quite a while um Mm. and it's such a it's a so unique like how low and rumbly everything is yeah and it's so soothing like everything about Mm -hmm. it like his voice is so low the bass is so low the sax is so low but it's just like so calming Mm-hmm. A lot of it, the way it kind of rolls over you, like I don't think anyone could get away with a sound like this now. Like this is like such a of yeah. a pro, like it's such a product of a time. I absolutely, I think you're right. I, I I don't think you could get away with it now, um, and it is really unique. You know, I mean, uh, and I will always appreciate what what they gave in yeah. terms of music contributions. Yeah. Um, so we're we're gonna switch gears pretty dramatically with this next one. iconic group iconic oh, yeah. song yeah so what you want yeah uh yeah. how are we getting into the beasties now do you oh. listen to a lot of hip-hop like nowadays do you still do you li- do you listen to a lot of hip-hop or is like was this like something from your from your youth mm. from the past this is definitely from the past do i listen okay. to hip i i think i began the show by saying i've never been a on top of the wave so i i find out things. you don't you don't pull up into the staff parking lot at clark with the windows down being like how do you do fellow kids have you heard of tupac shakur and like with your hat backwards or whatever right. yeah i keep my musical um my my discoveries to myself because most likely it's yeah um 
<laughs> I, I, you know, I'm very interested in and have a real appreciation for for hip hop. Absolutely, I just feel like I I'm chasing the train, and so I will find things and I'll be completely open to them. But um, yeah, I've not been one who's sort of it's like big, it's a tough genre to keep up with because it moves so quickly, and it's like a yeah, lot of stuff totally. is not. It's a lot of it is not that interesting to me. And so, like when right. I find an artist who I am, like a new artist, I have this I have this thing where like I'm like, yes, I like a lot of rap music, but it's only from a specific time period so it's like mm-hmm. i will only listen to east coast hip-hop from the early to mid 1990s and that's okay. it. like yeah a new like new new artists i'm kind of like i'll take a listen it might not resonate with me the way this old wu-tang clan record is going to right. i don't know why like, I, I don't know why so like yeah. the beastie yeah. boys are a very like very nostalgic kind of like their peak in the 90s Absolutely. like really resonates with me so I'm yeah, I'm presuming this is another is this another college one for you? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So what you want? Well, I, you know, uh, but actually, I mean, my gosh, you know, um, uh, the, their first one, "License to Ill," is that is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. "License to Ill." That I mean, that came out when I was in like middle school or something, and junior high, and. uh and then Paul's Boutique came out, and then this one hit when I was in college. And I think I was like second year sophomore. I was a sophomore. And um, and I remember that, like I knew the Beastie Boys were, uh, Licensed to Ill is just, you know, it was on, they, they had some of those hits on MTV. And um, they, you know, they were great and everything, and they were part of my formative years but there was something about this album and when it hit that was it was striking a chord with the people that i was hanging out with but it was also uh my sister spent a lot of time with like the skater crowd too and (laughs) this album this album specifically has big skateboarder energy like oh my gosh paul's boutique not so much and maybe uh ill communication a little bit but like This one, check your head, is like a skateboarder classic for sure. Yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't love that album enough. I mean, I, I just, (laughs) I I can't. I think it's brilliant. There are so many quotables from that that my friends and I would, you know, just revel in. Um, It's totally of that time in my life.
But what I love about the, the Beastie Boys is their evolution. Like I, I really respect how they kept working at developing their music and they really cared to and that they were such avid listeners of all kinds of music too you know so they weren't there wasn't just this sort of surface level to them there was there was a, a growth a spiritual growth of self that was progressing through their lives and coming through in their their music and um and i really i'm really i respect that i'm really interested in that um they I think lyrically, th this is where it really started to hit with with me that their construct of language and the rhythm within that married with the sampling that they were doing and some hook that was in there, um, it just made you want to, you know, scream in your car at all the lyrics and have the best time ever, you know. It um, is like it is very enthusiastic. Like I do kind of fault them at times for the fact that like they are of an era of rapping where they equate rapping with shouting. Like every <laughs> yeah. song is shouted and it might not need to be and that's okay. That's like how peeps people in the early days of rap music would do it and that's fine. But so like yeah. sometimes I'm kind of like you don't need to be so shouty, but in this song it works because it's like they're cupping the mics. It's distorted as hell. Yeah. It's got that yeah. that cool right. like warbled organ sample kind of coursing yeah. through it. Um yeah. so like this one works but yeah, and I I mean this album and um Ill Communication they're so rollicking in terms of it's like straight rap song instrumental yeah. funk piece like <laughs> yeah. it's all very it's so div i remember when i bought a copy of ill communication because sabotage was all over mtv and i was like yes. oh my god this is the this is the greatest thing to happen to me but i am also a child i am also a child but this is the greatest thing to happen to me but like i remember getting that cassette and being like there is so much happening on this album. Like it's so oh. long and there's yeah. so many instrumentals and there's so many, like there's so much diversity and like my little junior high brain had such a hard time unpacking that, mm. but it's like, yeah. it's so admirable that it's like they can have like funny songs or have had funny songs in the past and have yeah. these iconic singles. But there's like, there's a real musicianship in a lot of what they're doing. And that like, as an adult, I really came to be like, there's so much going on in this record, but it's like, it's so fascinating that it's like, yeah. you don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you know, a lot of, I like totally agree with you and, and the eclectic, um, the eclectic grouping of so many tracks on each of these albums is uh is impressive but it's almost like going and hanging out at their house or something and and you know they're like yeah now we're gonna do this and now we might shoot some baskets and then let's do this you know and now let's now let's rock out and you know it's um, that's what i feel like when i put on their album is it's it's i can take them for the singles absolutely but it's all it's like you're gonna hang out with them for a while and you're gonna do a lot of different things so that's that's another reason why i love the beastie boys
Um, are you ready to move into the next one? Are you ready to switch gears pretty dramatically? Because we're we're headed into something. We're getting into real different territory now after the beast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we really are. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, Billie Holiday, "Strange Fruit." How are we getting from uh, an iconic early '90s hip hop classic to <clears throat> an icon, just an iconic song of this ilk? Yeah. yeah. Um, I I guess the this song. It's a really um, important song. This strange fruit, right, is haunting and provocative, evocative. Yeah. Uh, um, it's poetic and disturbing. It's beautiful and it's ugly. And it's... Um, and, and and it's just one that haunts me and and for that it it becomes for those reasons it becomes a really important uh song to me billy holiday's version and there are lots of interesting versions that are out there uh from nina simone to you know a few years back annie lennox did the song which i thought was really interesting that she sang this song oh, i didn't i did not know that she did it, yeah, on um, Nostalgia. I think that's the album Nostalgia that she she did, like in 2014 or something. But and she she sang this one. But um, Billie Holiday's version is, it, it. I think it completes the the haunting, beautiful, disturbing, you know, uh, gift that this song is. Like she really filters all of these words through her unique instrument and and i'm just blown away i'm stunned by it um do you listen to i mean do you listen to a lot of music like i mean older like jazz vocal jazz like artists of this era like is this something that you return to regularly or is this just like a song that sticks out from that has um no i mean is timeless yeah, no, I like all, I like a lot of different types of music and especially do enjoy like, you know, jazz. Um, I wasn't really ever a major jazz fan, but some somehow in the pandemic, I started going down a jazz path and uh, <laughs> really like discovering more and more it's just you know it transports you through time and i mean it is a hard it is a hard genre to get into because it's like it's so intimidating at times pastoral scene of the gallant south the bulging eyes and the twisted mouth 
scent of magnolia sweet and fresh then the sudden smell of burning flesh here is a fruit crows to pluck for the rain together for the wind to suck for the sun to rot for the tree to dry Yeah. So yes, I do. I do like have a uh, a love for jazz and j- and sort of jazz vocalists too. Dinah Washington for me uh, is like one that I just love so much too. And I didn't pick a Dinah, Dinah Washington song because it's just like I just look at her as like the whole body of work. I need. I need. I just. It, she satisfies me listening to Dinah Washington. But Billie Holiday, um, there's a lot more of a sadness in her voice. And this one, you know, what she's captured here is that, you know, likening lynchings to this fruit hanging in a tree, it stops you in your tracks and the air literally stands still, you know, when you're, when you're here and, uh, it challenges you to really look at an ugly part of our history and, and talk about it. Even now it's still, you know. It's still like whoa. Oh, it's it just, still really, really relevant. Yeah, it's re- relevant and and powerful. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I put that one way up high.
And so this was, I didn't know this song. This was like the one song on here that I had, like, I had never heard, had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, Wendy and Lisa. Yeah. Members of the revolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, the life though. So, I mean, how are we getting, like, what is your relationship with like the music of Prince and like, obviously like people involved with Prince's band, like, what what's mm-hmm. the background with this one specifically? Well, I'm I I love Prince. I am a huge fan of what what Prince gave to us. I think he's you know he's phenomenal. He could I could probably have put a Prince song into this mix real easily. Um, I I can't say that I'm like you know well versed in all of the members of of all, all of his incarnations and things like that. But w- Wendy and Lisa, you're like, you're, you're like we're going to talk about the new power generation, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, it wasn't heading there, but um, the, Wendy and Lisa, you know, it was almost like this, like s- stop and pay a little bit of attention to an important part of the revolution and, and give them a little bit of a time. And somebody long ago, you know, shared oh, a friend of mine who was like, you know, is that diehard Prince fan that like saw him every chance she could and never stopped talking about him <laughs> ever. And, uh, and Wendy and Lisa were, you know, part of all of that conversation. And so I, it's not that I'm like a big fan of the album this came from, but this song was introduced to me and probably on a mixtape, but it was, uh, <laughs> It was just so 
like I heard this in high school, maybe maybe towards the end of my high school years, and I knew that this song and the sentiment in this song was something that I was going to feel in years to come too. Like whatever I was experiencing at that time, the the sort of intimate intimacy of this song was speaking to that, but I knew it was going to it was going to hit me on different levels later in life. And it still does, you know. I mean, certainly it's, there's some nostalgia behind it, but um I love the idea of that um, everyone has to do something. I am here doing what I do best, but this is the life. You know, it's like, yeah, um, it's, it's sort of tongue in cheek, you know, it's like, oh, this is, yeah, isn't, isn't this great? Or this is, this is the life. And you know, it's interesting too. I equate this to like my, my grandmother, uh, in her like last days, she she would say this phrase kind of over and over. She she go what a life, and it was like <laughs> double meaning. Like it was a reflective, like you knew that she was sort of making some sort of comment over all of those years that she lived, and she knew that she was at the end. But also that sort of like ah, you know, jokingly, what a life I'm leading right yeah. now too. You know. Um, and I think there's something similar going on here. So this is a, this is just an, a, a really, again, sort of quiet song that that captured an emo- the emotions of my of my life at that time. Good times for a change. See the luck I've had can make a good man turn back. So please, please, please Let me, let me, let me Let me get what I want this time So we're kind of staying in that time, though, with this next one. The Smiths. (laughs) Yes. Have you ever ever heard of Stephen Patrick Morrissey? Um... (laughs) Yeah. So this is the this is the second time the Smiths have come up uh, on this season of the podcast. Okay. Um, and so you have picked an iconic Smiths jam. Please, 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 let me yeah. get what I want. And before we even talk about the song, because I know, I mean, I remember you talking about how much you loved the Smiths and Morrissey when I was a student in college. So like I expected, <laughs> I kind of anticipated the Smiths to be on this list. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But and I remember like a million years ago, you sent me a message that were like, hey, how do you get original Smith's vinyl? And I was like, I don't think you either of us can afford that. I don't know why you're asking. Oh, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. But um, I mean, I know you ride hard for the Smiths, but like, mm-hmm. how, do you have a hard time separating the art from the artist with everybody's <laughs> problematic favorite, Stephen Patrick Morrissey, who has said some <laughs> wild shit? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will just say that, yeah, he has. And uh, the more he, you know, I, I want to say talk less, smile more, you know, to, bo- to borrow a line from <laughs> Hamilton. Um, I, I just, yeah. Okay. So I do have, it, it does wear me out and make, turn me off, but 
in for some reason, you know, I am able to sort of separate that because I, I feel like, you know, as people age, they go through things and they say <laughs> things and they, I don't know. Oh, I mean, like, so with, I mean, with, with Morrissey, it's like, he's always Mm -hmm. been controversial. I appreciate his, how much he loves animals. Like that is like, I'm like, I, I, that's great. Like I, I mean, my wife and I are vegan. We've been like very, you know, animal rights for a long time. Sure. So I'm happy for that. The other stuff that he's like, I mean, I think there's been some Islamophobia. I don't know. Like I, I, the controversies are always kind of like, I'm like, Ooh, do I like the Smiths this much to keep yeah. like, I mean, I'm like, Oh buddy. Yeah. I don't want to be like, yeah. shut up, shut up and play the hits. But it's like, you've got some hot takes that people do not want to hear my friend. Um, but it's also, <laughs> it's just like, it's incendiary hot takes and he's not like a sex pest and he hasn't been like, right. There's, I mean, there's different levels of like, yeah. how can I support this? So right. it's like right. he just has some views I do not agree with, but it's like I mean this song is a banger and like asleep mm-hmm. that's such a good song. Mm-hmm. He's got so many, and it's just yeah. like damn dog, why you gotta open your I know. mouth like that? <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, it's I don't know what to say. I just want to ask I, because it's like I no one has like people have not like the podcast people have not picked regularly like tunes from artists that are like so controversial that i'm like you know this person is like a real piece of shit right like right. they've like been canceled or it's like they have yeah. like a, like a whole history that we need to unpack but it's like somebody else that i interviewed mm-hmm. picked two morrissey solo songs and a smith song and i was kind Ooh. of like how do you do this how do you separate the art from the artist <laughs> And she's like, I mean, I don't agree with it, but it's like, I mean, these are the songs that I grew up listening to. So it's just like, I'm I'm like, this is a part of me. And I'm like, I, I get it. Um, it's not easy. Um, but so where do we come into with this one? Cause I mean, you, you were not on the cutting edge of the Smiths. So where, how do we get to this one? Mm -hmm. Like, how do we get to the Smiths and then this song in particular? So the Smiths were introduced to me by a friend, uh, who I, I had, some friends who were always you know sharing music and and i'm so grateful that they would say sit down i want you to play something for you you know and and uh i remember a friend saying you know i think it was like some radio station that was playing music that was not mainstream not top 40 maybe it was a college station i don't even remember and this was still in high school and she said this is this is the Smiths. And I was listening to the Smiths and I'm thinking there's something that I'm so drawn to here. It's different. It's, it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm loving this. It's, it's amazing stuff. Um, and I was, and I said, I want to see them. And she said, well, you can't, they broke up. (laughs) It was like, Oh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I think it was like, maybe not long after that, you know, and Morrissey was starting to do his solo stuff. So, I think Viva Hate, his first solo um, record, was out, and yeah, I mean, I, that, was, I in in re- I yeah. was doing the show notes for the episode that I taped with the gal who talked a lot about mm-hmm. the Smiths, and I was looking at the, I was reading the Viva, I was getting like the information for Viva Hate, and that came out mm-hmm. within like a couple of months after the Smiths broke up. Yeah, so he was yeah. like right on, right onto a solo mm-hmm. career. Yeah, he he definitely was. He kind of moved right right through it. 
And um, and I played the heck out of uh, Viva Hate. Um, it just it was just something I was really interested in. But and I thought, well, shoot, you know, I missed the whole Smiths boat, but I'm <laughs> I'm interested in what this Morrissey is saying. And um, and uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, then I became a huge Morrissey and Smiths. Uh, fan like i just started buying everything i could and following uh the things that he was singing and haven't had a dream in a long time see the life i've had can make a good man bad so for once in my life let me get what i want lord knows it would be the first time lord knows it would be the first time Um, his solo album, Your Arsenal, when that came out, um, I probably told you this story, but on the eve of the release of that album, which I think was 1992, summer of 92, and he, um, or was it 93? It's 92 or 93. And he- I'm, um, I'm looking it up on my phone right now. Are you? It's 92. It's 92. 92. And he, there was this rumor that he was going to appear in Grand Rapids, Michigan, at a uh, record store called Vinyl Solution. And you know, there was no internet, a, so it was just like a rumor on the radio. <laughs> and and at midnight, what a what a, what a rumor! What a rumor! Right? And we got in the car and we drove several hours to see to see if he was going to show up. Um, and he did. And it, we got to the store at like, you know, six or seven o'clock. No, no, it was like five or six o'clock, I think. And there was only like a little smattering of Morrissey fans sitting outside the door, like four or five guys. And we were like, well, I guess, you know, we'll just park it here outside the door. And then cut to like just before midnight. And there are 4,000 people outside of this record store <laughs> in a strip mall. <laughs> And I'm not I'm not exaggerating. There were like four thousand people, and MTV and Kurt Loader and everybody's there, and and I almost died that night getting shoved through the the glass. Everybody was trying to get in. It was nuts for Morrissey, you know. How did the, how did Morrissey pick like a random record store in Grand Rapids, Michigan to I, just you know, drop in on? He I don't know. He he just. It, it, there's this bit that's still floating around on YouTube uh, of the Week in Rock where they where they um, showed oh, you know love, talked to him about it. Love the Week in Rock, right? Yeah, love Kurt Loader. Like you Kurt mentioned, Loder. Kurt Loader, my my ears just perked up. I'm like, <laughs> that yeah. man gave me so much good news and so much bad news during yes. my childhood. Love hey. Kurt Loader. Yeah, yeah. And Morrissey just said, you know, I I I like to 
to try something, you know, that was random and fans. And I don't know how he landed on that, but I was there. I got my autograph. I shook his hand. Oh, and awesome. I said, you know, I looked at him and I was like, uh, 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 like couldn't talk you know i don't yeah do you get i mean i don't know how many i mean you i mean you lived in new york but like do you have a lot of like do you get starstruck easily when you like encounter like a famous person or somebody that oh, yeah. you like admire so much that you like oh yeah struggle yeah. I say, okay i say the dumbest stuff like the dumbest things and clearly i like pull my pants down and i do all these kinds <laughs> of weird things i don't know how to handle myself socially when i'm meeting somebody who's famous clearly do you still have your autograph your morrissey autograph somewhere in your house oh yeah oh absolutely okay it was the, i had the cd autographed because oh you know, nice purchased vinyl at the time i don't know um uh and yeah, yeah, I remember, uh, I didn't know what to say to him. And I just said something <laughs> like, like, um, you know, he looked at me like, what do you want? You know, I was like going through the line and I said, you know, uh, could I get your autograph and maybe a simple handshake? And he goes, well, I don't have a simple hand. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it was total Morrissey. Iconic, you know? iconic Morrissey. Seriously, he just turned it into a lyric. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Time takes a cigarette, puts it in your mouth. You pull on your finger. Then another finger, then cigarette The water wall is calling It lingers, then you forget Oh, 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 oh You're a rock and roll suicide You're too old to lose it Too young to choose it and the clock waits so patiently on your song. Um, so we've reached the end, and the last yes. one is a an iconic artist, an iconic album, a iconic closing song. Yeah. Uh, David Bowie, "Rock and Roll Suicide" from mm-hmm. Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. So, are you like a longtime Bowie guy, or like how are we? Why are we closing with this one? <laughs> why are we closing? Um, the, I, I put this one as number one because I will always argue and contend that this is the like most powerful three minutes of music you will ever find. Um, I think it's dramatic. I think it builds unbelievably. Uh, it's passion that's there. Uh, the message that's there, unbelievable. Um, and it even has this like amazing sort of bum 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 button at yeah. the end you know yeah. that uh that just gets you um i you know like david bowie my introduction to david bowie was just again the sort of what felt like mm, the whole mix of top 40 kind of stuff you know where you get i mean he was very i mean in the 80s i don't know like yeah. what I mean, he was kind of down bad for a while in the 80s, but he also had some big hits in the 80s. Like, his career has been an absolutely wild one. Um, Right, In terms of, like, the success and the less successful things and then kind of, like, in the Mm -hmm. 90s when he kind of found his way back to a specific audience. Um, Yeah, yeah. 
I I mean this is I could go on like we could we could do a whole podcast about David Bowie. David Bowie was a huge <laughs> artist, uh, important for my wife and I for a long time. Um, mm. I think the the version of this song that is performed in the documentary, the Ziggy Stardust mm. and the Spires from Mars documentary, is mm. incredible because there's so much desperation in it as it kind of like careens towards the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and but yeah it's a it's a fascinating way to end the album and it's like a concept album so it's like yeah it's the actual like death of the character which is yeah i think yeah just like so fast like i mean it's so mm-hmm. it's like wild that this was his fourth album and he was doing something so risky at at that time that would still be yeah. risky at this time like people do not really bang with concept albums that much and right. it's a big it's a big ask to right. go on that ride with somebody. So yeah. do you still yeah. listen to a lot of Bowie? Do you, or is this kind of like yeah. this of a time and place for you? No, actually I discovered Bowie a lot more in, you know, after, like I would even say in the last 10 years okay. um, or so, I've kind of gone back to like discover the albums. And the thing for me is like, it takes time for me to, it has taken time for me to like really appreciate the various albums. Like I'm just now getting into his last one. Like I, Oh, black star is so, is so hard to get into. And it's also kind of like the weight behind it now is kind of like, well, he was writing his own like eulogy apparently, allegedly. Um, I mean, it's, I mean, it's so dense and dissonant and, but it's also like that last song, I Can't Give Everything Away, is just mm. like a very haunting ending once you know yeah. that, that was the ending. Oh, no, 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 you're a rock and roll suicide. Shit breaks the snarling. As you stumble across the road But the day breaks instead So you hurry home Don't let the sun blast your shadow Don't let the milk float Grab your mind They're so natural Religiously unkind Oh no
you know, I don't even know. It's there's still an emptiness with his, with his exit. You know, I don't know. There, he was just such a. He made it possible for so many people to tap into their own creativity. I think just by yeah. the very sense that he tried these, he tried things. He tried such experiment, and that's that's one of the reasons why his albums sometimes take time for me to, is because it's it's very experimental, and I and I need to appreciate it. And that's the good thing. Like it's not just immediately listenable to a point where I go. Oh yeah, I love it immediately. You know, I, yeah, I, I yeah. like I like to work for it sometimes, and he's definitely worth it. Uh, yeah, tracking tracking his his ups and downs and in twists and turns. Uh, uh, and I'm so fascinated too with his his exploration of various persona. You know. Oh um, yeah, yeah. That's to me like that actually kicked off my project. I mean, I was just kind of. This song, um, in a sense, was was something that kind of kicked my own theater, theatrical project in gear a bit. Um, uh, does your project have a name, by the way? I don't think you mentioned if it does. Is it un- yeah, untitled sabbatical project? Is that what it's <laughs> no, I'm, called right I'm now? No, I'm calling it. I'm calling it Persona. Okay. Um, oh, right. You did mention that because it looks like Person A on the page. Yeah. yeah right. Sorry. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this, yeah, the the earnestness in this song, you know, when it's just just throbbing and driving at the end there, and he's screaming, "Give me your hands, cause you're wonderful!" Yeah. Like that cuts through. Uh, to me, it's like, you know, the saddest the the saddest levels that we we see others reach and and or we ourselves reach and it's like he's just screaming through that to say hang on i will there you know i've got you i've got you so it's yeah. so incredibly uh dramatic but uh but intensely hopeful too like i don't know it's it just does it for me top to bottom i'm i'm think i like take that 3 minute theatrical trip and i'm never not satisfied with it it is like I mean that album is incredibly dramatic, yeah. Overall, but like this is a such a such a dramatic ending, and you just don't know where it's gonna go. Like where's the song going? You know, where is it yeah. going? And and then that ending is almost like ta da! <laughs> you know? uh-huh. It is. It is. Yeah. It's just a funny way to end it. Actually, it's cool. It's it's brilliant. I I remember first time i heard it and every time after that like when it ends i just want to i always go man of course <laughs> <laughs> like wow that was such a ride so that's it that one is, okay. is just like the perfect song for me well we made it through your list yeah. despite all the technical issues that we had for like the first half hour i we made it <laughs> without any interruption and thank 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 goodness gracious um i'm so appreciative that you were so patient with all the uh technological difficulties that we we had last week and with today getting all this mm-hmm. connected and staying connected and taking the time to weed through like 30 songs to pick 10 songs to talk about and even being <laughs> willing to do this like i'm always yeah. appreciative when people are willing to take the time because i guess i mean for me as the host like i've done this twice where like my wife has been the one to interview me and i have picked Mm. in songs Mm -hmm. but they've come very easily to me 
And so, like, I know it's not easy for everybody because not everybody spends all day, every day reading about music or, like, pissing away their money on music. So it's like, <laughs> I'm grateful that you were willing to take part in this. So, and, like, we're, a pre- like, that you got right back to me and we're like, yes, let's do this. This sounds fun. So thank you so much for taking, like, I'm very grateful. Uh, I'm thrilled, thrilled, thrilled that, that you asked me because it's been like such a joy to be able to talk about music and talk about these songs and memories. And, um, and I love this podcast cause I love, I love oh, your people. heart. I do. I love it. I love how, uh, how much you give to everybody's choices. I mean, you're, you're, you're spending some real time with people on these and I, um, I love it. And I, and I want to go, I want to go to all the back episodes, back issues, and and start hearing what people are talking about. Once again, enormous thanks to Joe for being willing to put together a thoughtful list of songs and for taking the time to connect with me and chop it up about those. Uh, I'm very appreciative. This has been... The Anhedonic Headphones Podcast. I guess it's time for the fine print. Uh, This is, of course, the audio extension of the award-winning music website, which has been taking the fun out of music writing since 2013. It is the home of the long read. It is the home of the poorly written think piece. It's anhedonicheadphones.blogspot.com. I am Kevin Krein, a.k.a. Kevy Fly, your host. Thank you for being here. If you're interested in hollering at me on social media, please feel free to do so. I'm on a lot of those platforms quite often. Uh, I'm on Twitter at at KevyFly, and I am also the same on Instagram. If you feel so inclined, please feel free to rate and review and follow and smash the like button and do all of the things that you are encouraged to do as a podcast listener on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, with this program. I'm appreciative for any support you are willing to offer. Until next time, please keep wearing a mask. Wear two masks if you're able to. I'm wearing two, and you can't wear one? Come on now. We're still in this mess together, I guess. Also, keep washing your hands. Please remember that black lives still matter. And last but not least, adopt, don't shop. We'll see you next time.